From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a late career job loss. We identify who we are with what we do for work. Today on episode 50 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with Scott Perlstein. Scott became an entrepreneur following a long career in higher education facilities management. Even though Scott had a plan for what he would do after he left his job, he learned that he really needed to work on his own story to be successful. Stay with us to hear all the details. If you'd like to share your story on going solo, please get in touch with me at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Scott Perlstein. Scott is a change management specialist who closes the gap between strategy and implementation. His years of experience translating between planners and doers aids in shepherding teams in the same direction, especially in times of change. Scott draws on his business management degree from Cornell University, as well as a broad book of experiences to build success. From creating new and innovative businesses to shaping the culture within teams and organizations, his work is informed by his various roles as an entrepreneur, supervisor, and board member. In 2018, Scott found himself once again developing an entrepreneurial role after leaving higher education facilities and uses his experience helping others develop leadership and communication skills. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here, David. Uh, It's great to have you on. So, Scott, what caused you to transition from higher education facilities management into entrepreneurship? I am a big fan of talking about hiring for fit. And I found myself in a job I'd been in for several years with a bunch of changes that happened above me and realized that I no longer was a good fit for the role that I was in. And when you're not a good fit for the position culturally and skills-wise, it becomes less interesting. It becomes less fun. And I think I probably found myself becoming less diplomatic. And eventually we decided that it was no longer a good fit in that role. And I left the university in August of 18. Once you realized that the fit wasn't so great, And I'm assuming that there was probably a similar realization on the part of those that were responsible for employing you that um, I'm wondering, how did it feel for you to sort of come to terms with that reality? (laughs) Uh, There was definitely an epiphany moment when I was advising one of my managers who was about to hire somebody and I was giving him the whole spiel about how important it is to find somebody who's a good fit for your team. And I I literally had one of those bonk you over the head moments where as I was saying to him what I think he should do, I realized that I was talking about myself and that was why life had gotten so difficult at work. So it took me a while to come to grips with it in my own head while still working there it took much less long to come to grips with it after I was no longer working there. Yeah, I'll I'll bet. (laughs) (laughs) That's what often happens. Yep. And the the fit's crucial. We, you know, the, the couple of, of, uh, positions above me all transitioned and philosophically they were going a different direction than I'd spent a lot of time going up until that point. And it just, it was the wrong skill set, wrong, really the wrong philosophical fit. 
Yeah. How much time did you dwell on kind of where you were, what was going on and what was happening to you before you started making some plans for your next step? Oh, I would say it was a couple of months. I felt like prior to realizing the situa- my situation, I had quickly realized that the people below me needed some help in protecting. And so I had put on my cape and decided I was going to be their savior. And it took me a while to realize that that was not going to be possible and that that was going to destroy me in the process. And so, you know, it, I would say it was months of of trying to fit my roundness into a square hole and realizing it wasn't working. And when when we finally made the decision and everything changed, it was a pretty quick transition. I, I had thought through some possibilities. You know, it's one of those classic, uh, it was a long time in coming, but it was immediate when it came <laughs> scenarios. And so um, my transition was pretty quick. Uh, my wife is an entrepreneur and we had been working together on and off. You know, I, I had a full-time job and she had a full-time business, but we talked about it regularly. It was a, a kind of a family business scenario for years prior to that. And when I came home and said, I'm done, I'm not going back. She said, great, sit down. I got a bunch of stuff for you to do. You're hired. <laughs> so my transition was pretty easy because it was already familiar and I was already been a part of it. Yeah. Yeah, your transition was probably a lot easier than many of the people that we have featured on Going Solo because your wife had a business and she needed you and wanted you, <laughs> right? And, and, and you were, yeah. essentially, you were, you were ready for it. So I would say, yes, logistically, that was easy. I would say, uh, emotionally, it was, it was a transition like everybody else has. You know, you had, I had to get over it. I had to figure out what my story was, what I was going to tell people. I had to come up with a story to tell the kids. I had to feel good about myself again. I had to, I had to go through all the same phases. I just was occupied in tasks that I was learning very quickly because of my opportunity with my wife. But it was, a uh, the transition was otherwise the same as everybody else. Yeah. Do you think it was easier or harder to deal with the whole story piece while you were also busy with tasks because for some people they're making this transition it's a, it's a big transition going from being an employee to being an entrepreneur particularly if you've been an employee for a long time and for folks that have kind of a space to develop their entrepreneurial role like um, very often if somebody's starting uh, their own business or if it's a a business that has that uses the same skill sets they will often um, spend some time trying to figure out who they want to serve, uh, who their ideal client should be, uh, what those clients actually need and want and will pay for. So it, it takes a while to sort of get some focus around the business. And at the same time, then they're dealing with that whole issue of self-identity, self-worth, mm-hmm. what the story should be, dealing with, with um, you know, frankly, some of the trauma of, uh, particularly if uh, you have left your job abruptly if there's a termination um there's often a lot of trauma involved so they're they're kind of dealing with all of that while they're figuring out how to how their business should take shape but if you're really busy from day one actually executing tasks you you have less time for the sort of mental space stuff i totally agree and thing that you mentioned that uh, really resonated with me was the identity portion 
And that's always, uh, not always, but I think that's critical for most people that we identify as Americans in our culture, we identify who we are with what we do for work. And so when we lose that business card and we lose the title and the label and the easy story to, you know, the elevator pitch of what do you do or the meeting somebody on the airplane and hi, what do you do? We're a little lost. And that aspect of it, I think, was easy for me because I just transitioned to the plural pronoun and took all the things my wife had been doing and turned them into we's and I was part of it. So that part helped. But I absolutely agree with you. Being busy with the tasks made it difficult to really, I had to be very diligent about scheduling time to do the personal work because you still, I still had to do all of that. I wasn't just absorbing the products and the work that my wife did. I was trying to be a partner and expand the business to match my skill set. So I still had to figure out what my skill set was, how to communicate my skill set, who would my target market be, how can what I do augment the things that Alchemy Academy was already doing. And so it was very important for me to maintain things like a calendar, to write things down and identify time blocks, not just for the tasks that I had adopted or had been dropped on my lap, however you want to drop say that, but also I needed the time to do the work, to figure out my identity, to figure out my business, to figure out my role in the world. Uh, and again, to figure out what is my story. I live in a fairly small town where you can't go to the grocery store without seeing somebody you know. I don't know everybody there, but I'm going to see somebody I know. And I figured out after the first two bumbling conversations that I needed a story. I needed to believe in my story and I needed to practice my story because it was going to affect me every day. Scott, what were the steps that you went through that really helped you to clarify your story? So my brain works better when my body's moving. I spend a lot of time taking walks in the forest. I don't know if my dog's ever had it better than those couple of weeks. So I started with some big kind of strategy thinking, you know, certainly did some, some um, thinking about what had happened and what the process was. I spent some time thinking about what are my, what do I like to do, what I love to do, uh, what are my natural inclinations, what am I good at, what are my strengths. Um, I definitely did a fair amount of journaling and list making. Uh, the one strategy that I think helped me the most was doing a thing called a success journal. So I grabbed a new journal, a brand new thing, and I sat and wrote down all the things, all the successes I've had in my life. So went all the way back to high school, being voted for the club and getting a letter in sports and, you know, uh, relationships that I navigated, mentors that I was able to adopt or convinced to adopt me, getting into college and all the work experience after that. And that probably helped me more than anything. I would go back to it every day and start with it like as a mantra, just rereading these little bullets of successes and reminding myself and reminding my brain that despite what had happened most recently, 
I had this whole book of successes to rely on. I had all these skills. I had all these events in my life as anybody does, you know, I, I wrote them. So I got to, I got to define what a success was. And I kept my brain focused on the fact that that is my life full of successes. And we could just wash over this recent setback and figure out what's happening next. And I think that that made a huge difference in my ability to move forward. Okay. And besides the success journal, were there other things that were really helpful in, in getting your story straight? Yeah, I think, I think practicing, you know, I talk to myself when I walk alone in the woods and hearing myself say it out loud was beneficial. I decided that short of moving, I needed to be able to look people in the eye and tell my story. I was going to run into people every day. And so I sort of made the conscious decision that I was going to greet people. I was going to say hello first. I was going to put a smile on my face and ask them how they're doing I was going to try to remove the awkwardness of them looking at me and wondering what to say or how to feel or how to empathize with me by just being the same self they had always known. And to do that, it took some inner work. It took some some uh, propping up and it took some practice with making sure I, I understood my story, I believed my story, and I could articulate my story. Mm, that's great. And were there any resources that were really helpful to you in this process besides your journal? Yeah, again, it's a little bit of an unfair advantage. My wife is a is a development coach, and so <laughs> I was able to rely on the resources that her she had been working on for years, though uh, welcoming abundance blueprint and some a whole library of books that I picked and chose the right chapters that I knew were applicable to what I was experiencing at that time. Um, did a fair amount of reading. Uh, I also am naturally a bit of an interviewer. So I know of a couple of people in my peer group that had been through similar experiences in the time I've known them. And so I invested in a couple of cups of coffee and sat and chat with people and learned from them, just as the nature of this entire podcast is, what worked for them, what did they implement, how did they get to where they are today? How do they get past it? Kind of things, you know, what, what were the feelings? What were the family dynamics? And so I think I utilized other people who had had the same experience. That was, that was a big benefit for me. And then the internet, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of resources on the internet, whether it's learning something new or going through a process or reading about what's going on in, in marketplaces or in industries or, or expanding your mind, being able to uh, have access to all that and, and the time, frankly, to explore a little bit, I think made a big difference for me. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. Scott, how, how long a period of time from sort of start to finish was this process where you got to the point where you felt comfortable with your own story? <laughs> I'll be honest and say that I think I found myself justifying my story while I was still working <laughs> that I, I could see not that I saw the writing on the wall, but I felt it. And I was, I found my own self-talk being fairly defensive and justifying my actions in a way that provided me with the stepping stones when I was no longer working there to not have to fish back and look for all these stories. They were all a front of mind. 
So I would say there was those last couple of months that I worked there that those were things were running through my head pretty regularly. Once I actually made the transition, I'd say it was still a couple of months before I was truly comfortable with new interactions, particularly people who I worked with or worked for me prior and and just being comfortable again in my own skin and having the ability to represent myself in the way I always had and put them at ease. And so that was sort of my uh, my goal in all that is that I felt like if I could come out with the right personality characteristics to be myself and help them be at ease and then and neither of us really talked about the elephant, then that was a success for me. So that that's where I was headed. And I'd say it took a couple of months of practice and there's no other way to do it but to stumble through it and practice. I mean, it's you just have to do it. Yeah, I, I would say in my, in my experience doing similar kinds of things and also anything that you're doing that's new the first time out of the gate, especially when you're trying it with somebody else, there are things that are not going to go the way you want. <laughs> but but you but you but you got to try. It's like like in podcasting or any kind of content creation. There's a saying out there that it that when you look back if you've been if you do it for a while when you look back at the your like your first podcast episode or your first blog post or your first video if you're not embarrassed by your first one then you waited too long to actually start <laughs> yeah that makes sense and and it's the same you know when you're given a, a a presentation or you're especially if you're in sales and you're learning how to represent the product or the service you just got to stumble through it a few times until it becomes natural and you're comfortable with it and you find the right words and the right rhythm and where to pause and where to stop and smile and where to give them a chance to respond. And I, I totally agree with that. It, it takes some work. Yeah. So Scott, fast forward to today, what's your sweet spot in what you do in your work? So I would say two things. One is that I'm a big fan of the big sweeping change. I like to to dive in when there's a whole new system or a whole new process or a, it's a big change scenario. The difference between a 72% and 74% does not excite me at all, but the difference between 4% and 74%, I'm on board. You know, I, I like the big incremental or not the incremental, the big uh, sweeping change kind of thing. And so I think that my skill set is around working with a team and figuring out who is best at what role and moderating that towards some goal, getting input from each person in their strength, making everybody feel heard and communicated with and keeping the ship moving in the direction that we all decided was the goal. I've been able to do that as a project manager. And I think I think my consistency with communication is probably my strong suit. And I think that pays off, especially with groups of different humans that have different perspectives or different approaches or different outcomes that they're looking for out of a project and making sure everybody's on board with that and everybody's going the same direction. Mm -hmm. And who's your ideal client? pretty broad in change. What I like often is, so I, I would say change management is one big aspect of what I do. The other is leadership training. And the group that I enjoy most with leadership training is often the person who's very skilled at a particular task. And they have now 
risen to the level of being the manager, the supervisor, the director, the boss, and helping them learn how to stand in that new role, knowing that they are no longer going to do the tasks that they were so good at and so had such an aptitude for that they were given this role. My most recent work was with facilities at a university. So higher education facilities is all the buildings and I was in charge of all the trades. So the painters and the locksmiths and the uh, custodians and the groundskeepers, as well as a few other things on that. And that's very typical progression within the trades. The best plumber becomes the supervisor, the best custodian becomes the supervisor. And it's a whole different skill set and it's a whole different animal to supervise your peers than to be part of your peers. And so I, I love that aspect and it doesn't have to be facilities. You get the same situation when an engineer becomes a team lead or a construction person becomes the, the superintendent or the supervisor. Um, it works the same for doctors who become administrators or, or teachers who become principals. And so I think we that role happens in all aspects of industry. And uh, I enjoy that process and I enjoy helping people make that transition. Yeah, no, it's, it's a very different kind of role and it is a transition that happens frequently. And um, very often when the employer moves somebody up into that management role, they don't focus on the, the management skill that the, the person has. They're focusing on the production role that they've had in the previous, previous role. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it happen a lot. Yeah, I think it's a two it's a two sided coin. It's hard to get the organization to see you differently, to see you in that role, and it's hard to see yourself in that role and know what that means once you get there. And I think both sides of that are challenging. Yep, absolutely. So, Scott, now that you've been an entrepreneur for a while, where do you want to take it? Uh, that's a great question. We have been working two sides of our business from a delivery standpoint. We do a fair amount of live consulting and training, and we have been recently upping our game on the fully automated training to augment the live consulting that we do. So oftentimes, there's a handful of people who are in the room when we're there in person, but there's a broader range of people who could benefit from longer term training. And so I like both. I, I like the occasional on-site, you know, get your hands into all the nitty gritty of somebody else's whatever problem or transition or, or, or uh, business. But I've had a pretty, it's been fun to develop out this automated delivery system, which is um, creating videos and training exercises, worksheets such that drip out over time, and then following up with the live coaching to ensure that people are getting what they need. But it allows for a kind of a broader delivery. We get to have more of an impact and we get to uh, you know, serve more people. And so where I see it going, uh, I'm, I'm excited about both. You know, obviously the last few months we haven't been anywhere, nor has anybody invited anybody anywhere, but we'd like to get back onto that rhythm. But in the meantime, we've spent a fair amount of time working on another delivery system. And I think the two complement each other nicely. 
That's great to hear. Scott, if somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've talked about today, access any resources you have or get in touch with you, where's the best place to go? Sure. So what I'd love to do is offer a Calendly link and allow people to schedule a tell your story conversation. I'm happy to sit with people and kind of work through their experience and their story and their feelings and decide what's see if there's a way that I can help people put together the plan that they're looking to move forward with. So if we could share a Calendly link, that would be great. Yep, you can absolutely do that, as well as a link link to your website or any other links you want to include. That'd be great. That'd be great. And I'd also like to offer a sales personal strengths inventory. And one of the, I think, umbrella roles that anybody shifting to an entrepreneur cannot avoid is you will be in sales. You may not like the word. You may want to call yourself an influencer or whatever verbiage works for you. But as an entrepreneur, whether you're a solo entrepreneur or you hire staff, at some point, at some level, you're going to be in charge of selling your vision, of selling your business, of selling your products and services. And so put together a worksheet that helps you sort of identify what are your sales personal strengths in an inventory, and also what are the things that if you spent some efforts on, you could clear some barriers out and be more productive. Sounds great. Well, Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Going Solo. Share your story and how you developed it. That's been a really great discussion. My guest today has been the COO of Alchemy Academy, Scott Perlstein. Thank you again, Scott, for joining us. Thanks for having me, David. I enjoyed it. When you visit the Going Solo website, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. Today we learned how to get your story straight and much more. If you'd like to share your story on Going Solo, please get in touch with me at smashingtheplateau.com. Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them learn how to build a successful business after a late career job loss. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.